It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Could you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? you please won't you please please won't you be my neighbor all right hey good morning three circle church great to be with you guys today feels great outside at least here on the eastern shore but i'm sure at all of our campuses i think our entire area is feeling the fall temperatures so let's welcome today we have midtown mobile in the house we have a thomasville campus joining us we have daphne and online all over the place joining us right now so it is awesome to be one church in many locations we're grateful for that we see that uh, type of model in the new testament certainly and we We are glad to be a part of one of those So here at Three Circle. I cannot believe we're at the end of this series. It feels like we just started. And my hope and prayer is that none of us will ever look at the idea of neighboring the same again. My hope is that forever we will see it through a different lens. But today as we come to the end of the series, I want to show you the way we really need to look at this. Uh, We've learned so much about neighboring. We've learned so much about how to be uh, what God has called us to be. But I want you to see that if that's... If that's where we stop, we actually miss what, the, what, what it is ultimately about, what this parable is ultimately pointing us to. So as we've done each week, we'll do it for the sixth week today. We will read the parable. If you want to go to Luke, that's, it's not in your handout. We're going to put it on the screen. Luke 10, and we're going to get, begin in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now we we have said each week that that last phrase that Jesus said turns the parable into a command. He says, now as you understand this parable, you go and do likewise. But what I want to show you today is not just that we see things that we need to do in this story, but ultimately I want you to see this. The gospel can be seen in the Good Samaritan parable, and that's what we need to see today. I want to bring it back there because I want you to see today that this parable is ultimately about the great message of Jesus, the gospel, and it's actually about Jesus himself. 
So let's talk about the way we look at the Bible here at Three Circle, and it will help us. Because I know a lot of people read the Bible, and they go, man, it's so confusing. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to understand the Bible. And I will give you one of the big keys to help you unlock the Word of God, if you want uh, to, to kind of describe it that way. So how can I begin to understand the Bible? This maybe is number one on the list to know that the entire Bible points to Jesus. So for you to understand that from Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is pointing that direction. The entire Old Testament was building towards Jesus, pointing towards Jesus. Every festival, every feast, every type, everything that's happening is pointing to Jesus. Uh, the Gospels point right at him. There he is. There he is in front of us. And then the entire New Testament, all the way up into where we are now with the church age, we're all pointing back at Jesus. It is all about Jesus. In fact, after the resurrection, so Jesus dies and he, and he comes back and, and there are these couple of disciples who are walking on a road and it's called the road to a place called Emmaus. And while they're walking, they are like, they didn't know Jesus had resurrected. They didn't know he was back. And Jesus begins to walk with them, but they don't know who he is. He's concealed himself. But it says this, while they were walking, they got the seminary lesson of all seminary lessons, Okay. They got some theological training because on this walk, the Bible says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses. Now that means that that's the first uh, five books of your Bible. When it says beginning with Moses, it's talking about the books Moses wrote, which is the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible. So he started at Genesis. That's what the Bible's saying here. And then all the prophets, meaning that he started with the Pentateuch and then he went through the rest of the Old Testament. So the Bible they had, Jesus just starts walking them through it. And what was he doing? He interpreted to them in all, everybody say all, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So can you imagine he's walking and he's like, hey, see, Jen, that's about me. You see the guy in the fire with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That was me. On and on. You see the guy that Joshua's bowing down before in front of Jericho and, and the walls? You guessed it. Me again. Just going through the Bible. On and on and on it goes. And imagine, what, how many of you would have liked to have had that lesson, right? Well, you're getting it right now. We just read it, okay? <laughs> so I want you to see that the Good Samaritan story is about more than just a new to-do list for us. Although, on the aspirational side, it certainly does tell us things that we should do. And Jesus himself said, go do this. As you understand the parable, that is not the ultimate point of the parable. And the ultimate point of the Bible itself is not to be a to-do list for us, a uh, way to live life, a better way. There's a lot of things you can read about that will help you improve your life. Roman Stoicism, you know, they had some good things to say. Philosophers of all types got some good things to say. The Bible is more than that. The Bible points us to our Redeemer. In fact, J.D. Greer, great theologian and writer and pastor, said this about the Good Samaritan. He said, the parable of the Good Samaritan did not give the expert in the law, and, and that would include us now, a new rule to follow, but instead it gave him a new reality of radical grace. And I think J.D. is right. What, what this story is pointing to is the radical grace of God when you see the Good Samaritan story in this way. The problem is we look at it all wrong, and we tend to do this, and I do too. I'm real bad about this. So like when I read the Bible, I want to see myself as the heroes in the Bible. Like if I'm reading the story of David, I'm like, I could, I, I could see myself hitting Goliath with the slingshot. And if you're honest, you, could, you, you do the same thing. Like, yeah, and if we're going to go metaphor with the Bible, we're like, 
we want to be David. We want to be David knocking the giant down, right? And we want to be Joseph uh, standing strong in his faith. And we want to be Samson, you know, except we don't want our eyes taken out. But we don't be Samson knocking everything down. And we're like, yeah, we can do that. It's like when I go see the Avenger movies, when I go see the Avengers, I think, I could be four. <laughs> don't you guys? You're like, look, with a couple of years of dieting, working out, and a whole bunch of steroids, I'm there, man. Captain America? Oh, yeah, right? Because you watch the movie. You go, I want to be like that. I, I, see my, I write myself in the story, but you do too. It's kind of humanity. It's kind of what we want to do. But that would be the wrong way for us to look at the Good Samaritan parable because you and I are not the Good Samaritan. We look at, look at it and we go, yeah, we, that's what we're supposed to be. And no, the best way for you to see yourself in the Good Samaritan story is the dude that got beat up. You're the person and I'm the person that got beat up. We're helplessly laying in the ditch. We went our own way. We took a road that we chose, and we got beat up, and we needed a rescuer. See yourself in the story, not as the Good Samaritan, because none of us are ever going to be. We can aspire to it, but we're never going to be perfect at that. But what we are really good at is being the helpless, beat-up dude in the ditch. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure you're like, thank you. This is very encouraging. Come to Three Circle where you get told you're the beat-up guy in the ditch. You're not the hero of the story. That's okay, though, because when we see it the right way, we see the glory in it. We see our Redeemer in the story. So let's talk about how we can see the gospel, because we are not the hero of this story. Jesus is. We're not the hero of the Bible. Jesus is. And it's good for us to go, we're not the hero of our own lives. When we glorify Jesus and make him the hero, we're not the hero. Three Circle Church has a... 21, 22-year-old story now, and I'm not the hero of it. Pastor Mike Meganson, the founding pastor of the church, he's not the hero of it. And all the many, many staff members that have been a part of the story and all the many people that have been a part of the story, we're not the heroes. The hero of the story is Jesus. He's the hero of the three-circle story. If you're a believer in Christ, he's the hero of your story, and he's the hero of this Parable. So let's take a look at how we see the gospel, and let's go to verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. How do we see the gospel here? Well, here's how, because we, like that guy, have all chosen to go our own way, haven't we? He chose a road, and it was a dangerous road, and he chose to go that way. And you know what? We have too. How many of you have gone down roads that you look back and you're like, probably should have taken a different road? Anybody out there? How about you guys in Thomasville? I can feel the hands in Thomasville and in Midtown Mobile right now lifting up. Because you know what? We all have gone our own way. And we all thought we were right. The Bible tells us that the problem with humanity is we think we are right. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all the dude in the ditch. We've all gone our own way. The Old Testament says, that it, all men, all humans, we think we're right in our own eyes. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the way this thing all got started is Adam wanted self-sufficiency. He wanted to choose himself. And God had given him, God was testing his self-sufficiency. So you can have all these things, but don't touch this. I know what's good for you, and I know what's bad for you. You need to remember that. God, more than anyone else, and really God alone, knows what's good for you and what's bad for you. And the problem is we think we know. And how many of you know we don't know? We don't know. 
We've all chosen to go our own way. And Romans 6.23 tells us that like this man, there was a destructive result to him taking this path on that day. It has happened to us as well. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But there's good news, and there was good news in the Samaritan story as well. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let's look at another piece of, of this thing. Because the Bible just told us in verse 30 that when this, this Jewish man took his own road, he not only did he suffer natural consequences of his choice, but some external things happened as well. He got attacked. He was attacked and they tried to kill him. They, they left him half dead thinking that he would die. Death was the point. Well, it's happened to us as well because like the helpless Jewish man, we get spiritually attacked on our journey, don't we? So you got two things happening. You have the consequences of your own sinful choices, and then we have an external force, a spiritual force that attacks us. Now let me make clear at three circle. We believe in a real God. We also believe in a real devil. We do not believe that it is a Disney character we're talking about here. We're not talking veggie tales right now with a red cucumber or whatever he is on that little cartoon. No, we, we're talking about a real, wicked, angelic being. Lucifer, Beelzebub, the devil, Satan. We believe those things, and we don't think that's just good old-fashioned religion. No, we actually believe the Bible. And Jesus never spoke of Satan in some metaphorical sense. He, he said, no, this is a real being. And we get attacked spiritually, just like in the garden. And I've told you this before. Satan hates you. Your spiritual enemy hates you because you experience something that he wanted and that he can never have. The Bible's clear that angels themselves look upon the relationship we have with God, that we bear the image of God. Let me tell you something. You bear the image of God. Satan never has, and he never will. You have the Imago Dei. He hates you. Hates your kids. Hates your family. Hates your marriage. And it's real. And when we go our own way, and we all have, that's what the Bible says, we've all taken that road, we suffer those natural consequences of sin, but then we get attacked by our spiritual enemy. And John 10, 10 tells us exactly that it's interesting that these were thieves and robbers that attacked this Jewish man. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what those thieves wanted to do to that Jewish man. Take everything he had and destroy him, leave him half dead. But Jesus said, but I came, like the Samaritan who showed up, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many of you are thankful we have a Savior that wants us to have life and life abundantly? That's why, let me just help you here. We believe this at Three Circle. We believe that, that if you will follow Christ, it's going to be the best way to live your life. And we believe the best marriages are under the authority of Jesus. And we believe that the best life you can live is under the authority of Christ. Everything, I'm telling you, everything is better with Jesus. Now, you will suffer. But even in suffering, there's glory when you follow Christ. Everything's better with Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you that everything's easier with Jesus. Understand, there are two different terms. It's hard following Jesus. You'll lose everything you have. Just letting you know. Everything, it'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. You're going to lose your autonomy. You're going to lose your uh, ability to do whatever you've always wanted to do. You're going to have to lose whatever that destiny thing that they talk about in prosperity gospel churches and all. Yeah, that's gone too because it's all about Jesus now. But what you do when you die to who you are, when you die to yourself, you get glory in Christ. You get something that you can't get anywhere else. And it's actually what you've been looking for all along. True, abundant life in Jesus. 
But thankfully, in Jesus, we do get to enjoy life. Once we die to ourselves, we then do get to enjoy life more. I'm telling you, steak tastes better when you're following Jesus. Ribeyes get even better when they're eaten to the glory of God. Can I get an amen in the room? If you're a vegetarian, um, Brussels sprouts to the glory of God, man. But the only thing to make great Brussels sprouts better is steak. Okay, so we'll just leave that right there. Now, let's go on because Luke 10, 31 continues with this idea. Remember, he says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And a Levite, likewise, when he came to the place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. What's going on here? How do I see the gospel here? Because the priest and the Levite both represent religion. They're the religious guys. And the religious guys can't do anything to help the helpless dude in the ditch, and religion's never helped anyone else either. The Bible's clear about that. Religion is dead. Religion can't help you. Religion can't save you. And we are chock full of religion here in the South. We are religious in the South. We're good people here. The rest of the country's crazy. People in California and the Northeast. But here in Alabama, we got our act together. We vote right, eat right, hunt right, play football right. Sometimes. The problem is, you can't be good enough to get into heaven. That door, your goodness will never unlock. Only Jesus, only Jesus can save us. The religious guys didn't lift a finger to help the helpless dude in the ditch. There was nothing. They didn't even go try to get him help. And that's where religion and you trying to be good enough and trying to be a good old boy and a good old girl and trying to be just good southern people, that's, that's how far that's going to get you. You will still be in the ditch of your sin. You will still be in the ditch of your hopelessness. You'll still be in the ditch of your helplessness unless you stop looking to religion to save you because religion cannot save you. You can write that down. Religion cannot save you. Such a good point. They're going to put it on the screen for you so you can write it down. Religion cannot save you. I've been around this for a long time, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they come in, and I'm like, so how's your relationship with God? And I start hearing about, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, you haven't. You haven't been a Christian your whole life. There's no such thing as anyone who's been a Christian their whole life. The Bible says you're born a sinner. There has to be a moment where you actually come to Christ. But I was raised in a Christian home. I don't care to have you come to Jesus. But my, my family, we prayed together. My, my grandma, Tutu, you know, loved Jesus. And, 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 and Papa Claude, he used to pray over to me. I've heard all of this stuff. And back in day we'd go catfishing and when we fried the fish later on we would pray together as a fab been a Christian my whole life. No, you have not. Only when you come to the cross of Christ and give your life to him and ask him to save you and forgive you do you become a Christian. And you can have perfect attendance at Three Circle and you can give in the offering. You can get on our giving ladder that we talk about and you can give money to the buildings. You can serve and you can volunteer. You can spend your time and check off all the lists. But if you have not come to the cross of Christ and made him Lord and Savior of your life. You are not a Christian. Still in the ditch. And so I'm here to tell you today that, that if you've never given your life to Jesus, then you are trusting in religion. And you're still in a ditch. And religion, like the Levite and the priest, is going to look at you and be like, 
Should have picked a different road. Why'd you get yourself beat up? That's what religion does, right? That's all religion does is says to you and I when we're in the ditch. Jump higher. Work harder. Try harder. Next time, pick a better road. Get yourself out of the ditch. I can't get myself out of the ditch. So that, that's humanity's answer always to more and more religion. And Jesus comes and says, what if I just get you out of the ditch? What if I get you out? See, Jesus, my friends, is the good Samaritan. He's the greater good Samaritan. Religion can't save us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. And I love that, the Bible, that God knows us so well. He knew, he knew that if you and I could save ourselves, we'd brag about it. That's why God says, I'm not going to let you boast. I cannot boast in my salvation except to boast in Jesus and what he has done for me. But I didn't earn it. And you and I can't compare. We can't go, hey, I'm more saved than you are. <laughs> Have you noticed how well I saved myself? No, we can't do that. Religion talks like that. Religion can do that. But us gospel people, we just look at each other and go, can you believe this? Can you believe you and I got invited to this party? And, and that's, that's what Christians do. That's what worship services should be. Worship gatherings should be, we come together and we're just singing. Some of us can sing, some of us cannot. It doesn't matter. We're just going to let it rip, man. We are singing and lifting our hands and we're all looking at each other and we're from different backgrounds and different races and different people and we've all messed it up because we're, we're, we all were beat up in the ditch and we all got rescued by our good Samaritan and, and we're all looking at each other going, can you believe this? Yes, we're going to sing. Of course we're going to serve. Of course we're going to give. Of course we're going to be a part of the local church. Why? Because we were in a ditch and Jesus got, it out, got us out of the ditch, right? I mean, we, that's our story. We got no pride in this. We're all just looking at each other going, can't believe it. Can't believe I got rescued. I didn't deserve it. Did you deserve it? No, I didn't deserve it. How about you? Do you? Nope, me either. Well, let's just sing and cry and pray and have the Lord's Supper together and celebrate his resurrection and and tell others about it. How about that? Yeah, let's do it. Well, let's call that the church. Okay, let's do that too. And, and here we are. See how this works? It's a beautiful thing that Jesus has done for us. Now, we continue to look at this because religion could not save this guy. And what we see is that he was helpless. He was totally and completely helpless. The helpless Jewish man had nothing to do with his own rescue. You're going to see he can't help himself. He's almost dead. He's so wounded. He's so beaten up. He has nothing left. It's taken everything. The road he chose has taken everything from him. Isn't that our story apart from Christ? The road I chose took everything from me. And had I stayed on the road that I chose, it would have continued to take everything from me. And, and, and you and I can look around us if we're Christians now and see that how we were rescued. And how many of you are with me that you look at your road and you go, if Jesus hadn't pulled me out of the ditch, if I would have stayed on that road, it would have taken everything from me. That road would have destroyed me. Do I have anybody in the room that goes, yep, that's my story? Yeah. And see, that's why we should care about others because we go, you know what? I got pulled out of the ditch, and I know what it would have done to me had I stayed on that road. And we look around, and we see others on that road. 
we see others being robbed. The thievery of the enemy, the thievery of sin, robbing from those around us, destroying marriages, destroying families, destroying lives. And as Christians, we feel that and, and, it, and it becomes our calling to, to do as God has called us to do. In John 3, 3, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus made clear, religion can't save you, only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. So, so what we see here with the Levite and the priest is religion has limits. Now, let me just be honest with you. Religion can help you have a better life. It can help you improve your life. Like if your religion tells you to be faithful to your spouse, okay, that's better. If it tells you to not be mean to people, that's good. Like if we're just going morals, if we're just wanting to get a little better than we are, then religion will work for you just fine if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for a little bit of improvement, but I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm dying and helpless in the ditch, I don't need someone to make me comfortable in the ditch. I don't need, because that's all religion does. If you're dying in the ditch of sin and the results of sin, and you go the religion route, all it'll do is help make you a little more comfortable. It's like, here's some Tylenol to take the edge off while you die in the ditch. That's what we do to marriages that are falling apart. We go, you know what? Um, here's three, three things you can do to just kind of make it a little better. Just make it bearable. And Jesus is going, well, just ask me, I'll rescue you, and I'll totally transform your life. Totally change your life. This is the promise of the scriptures. This is Jesus' promise to us. This is what he will and can do for us. So what happened next? Luke 10, 33 says, but a Samaritan. Everybody say, but a Samaritan. That's our story, but Jesus. Chris Bell was headed down this road, but Jesus stepped in. Like my family story is that. Teenage parents, I was kind of a surprise, all right? Popped into their life, very young age. Tough situation, family, it could have, I'm telling you, it could have went really bad, but Jesus showed up in my life and in my family's life. Like, I didn't even know. I'm still like, feed me, feed me. I'm just a little baby. I can't, I didn't even know. I could not rescue myself. I didn't know that God was putting together a plan for my life, and I didn't even know what he was doing. He was lovingly getting my family in church, saving key people in my family, lining it up to where my family would follow Jesus, and, and literally every one of my family's following Jesus. It's incredible, the rescuer that Jesus is. I didn't choose any of it. I didn't choose godly grandparents. God did that for me. I didn't choose to have a great church to grow up in. God did that for me. Again, while I was just still asking for somebody to feed me, just a baby, God was lining all that up because he is a great rescuer. I bet you could all stand up here and tell your story, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where the helpless man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And let me just tell you this. This is good news, and God has compassion for us. This is where we see the gospel as well. God has compassion for you. God doesn't look at you with disdain. He looks at you and goes, I love you. I care for you. He wants to rescue you. John 3.16 helps us understand the motivation behind the gospel. For God so loved. Don't just blow through it. You've heard it a million times. Tim Tebow put it on his face. You've seen this verse so many times you grow numb to it. Don't, there's a reason it's the most famous verse in the whole Bible. 
Jesus said this, by the way. A lot of people don't realize this is Jesus saying this, and he's saying it to the smartest man in Jerusalem by his own admission. He's talking to Nicodemus. They're on a rooftop. Nicodemus is talking to him about how can he be born again, and how does this work? And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a brilliant man. And Jesus says these words to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I've got good news for you today. If you have chosen your own way, and we all have, and you're in the ditch, and you're helpless, and you've tried religion, and you've tried to be better, and none of that is worth, you don't know where to turn, turn to Jesus because God loves you and has compassion for you. And cares for you more more than you care for yourself. He cares for you. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't come along and go, how'd you get yourself in that ditch? He already knows how you got in the ditch. And he doesn't go, why'd you get in the ditch? He knows all that already. He's not an arrogant rescuer. He's not rubbing it in your face that you ended up in the ditch. He knows that you know you're in the ditch. I grew up with preachers that would come in town, and I think it was their point to just just beat everybody down. And, and I wondered sometimes, did they know that everyone in the room already knew they were pretty messed up? Like, let's ease up. Why don't we do half the sermon beating everybody half to death, and the other half, let's talk about Jesus and the rescuer. But we would go kind of 95%, just beat everybody up pretty good. And then at the very end, oh, Jesus, let's flip that today. Let's just say that I know and you know we're all pretty messed up. We're all, we're all in the ditch without Jesus. But we have a rescuer who comes, knows what we're going through, and has compassion for us. It's really astounding, isn't it, the gospel? Too many of us grew up hearing the gospel when it sounded like bad news. And if you've heard the gospel when it sounded like bad news, somebody didn't do it right. Because it's good news. Amen, church? Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still in the ditch, while we were still sinners, Jesus is dying on the cross for us. And, and that's another point you need to understand. We're so bad, we end up in the ditch, and, we, and we're not even like choosing for him to help us out of the ditch. Like He had to come get us. It's like we, we're in the ditch and still not realizing that we need a rescuer. We're just in the ditch. And while we were in that state, Christ Jesus died for us. Luke 10, 34 tells us what he did. What did the Samaritan do? He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now I want you to watch what happens here because this is very powerful. So the Samaritan's rightful place, the Samaritan is a wealthy man and his animal is basically his souped up Ford F-150, okay? It's his car. And he takes the Jewish man, the Jewish man's place. Jewish man doesn't have an animal, and that's not his animal. It's not his car. But the Samaritan takes the Jewish man and puts him in his rightful place. The Jewish man ends up where the Samaritan deserved to be. And the Samaritan ended up on the ground where the Jew deserved to be. You watching this? And we see the gospel. Because Jesus got on a cross that was our cross. Jesus ended up where we deserve to be. And we end up where Jesus always should have been. We end up clean and holy and righteous while Jesus is dying naked and tortured on a cross because of what we call substitutionary atonement. You can write that down. The idea, the concept in Scripture 
is that of the substitutionary atonement. That means Jesus took our place. And we see it in the Good Samaritan story. They flip spots. Good Samaritan gives the Jew everything he needs. By the way, the Jews still didn't like the Samaritan at this point. (laughs) Just like while Jesus was dying for us, we hadn't chosen him. He comes and chooses us, rescues us, gives us mysteriously but beautifully the faith, calls us to faith. And we end up in this wonderful place of wholeness and righteousness and forgiveness because Jesus traded spots with us. Don't ever forget that when you think of the cross of Christ, that was supposed to be your cross. And that was supposed to be mine. And we are grateful for the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Luke 10.35 tells us how we can continue to see the gospel in the Good Samaritan. Finally, it says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I want to show you one last piece of us seeing Jesus in the Good Samaritan story. Uh, Jesus, like the Good Samaritan, Jesus didn't stay. He did all that needed to be done and he left. He died and then he rose from the grave and then he set everybody up. And then he left. But do you remember? Like the Samaritan took care of the Jewish man. He said, I'm going to give you everything he needs. Food, all of that. Take care of him. Here's the money. But look what he says. He says, but I will return. Is that right? That's what the Samaritan said. I'm coming back, but I'm giving him everything he needs until I come back. That's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples the night before he dies. In John 16, 7, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He says, I'm going away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Just like the Samaritan left the denarii and the money for the innkeeper to take care of the Jewish man, Jesus leaves and sends us the Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all things, taking care of us, providing for us. And how many of you have seen that the Spirit of God has led you and convicted you and cared for you? Right? I got three people. I can keep going until you raise your hands, folks. This is proactive. I know it's early. See, the Good Samaritan story is all about Jesus. And thankfully, he's coming back. Just like the Samaritan was coming back, he is coming back. Look, it tells us this. John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. Jesus will return. Write it down. He's coming back. And we believe it and we teach it. And we see Jesus in the Good Samaritan story. And this leads us to this. The reason the Good Samaritan story, the reason Jesus said, now, as you understand this, you go and do this, is because all of us who experience this grace that I've described to you in the gospel today should extend that same grace. And today we are celebrating people who have done that in their lives. We're celebrating Jesus, the ultimate hero, but as we aspire to follow him, we get to be heroic like our Savior. And we have people in our community, and the reason we're doing this today to honor them is we have good Samaritans in our communities. People that during the pandemic, instead of running away from the problems, ran to the problems. People like doctors, people like teachers, people like first responders who risked their lives and risked their time. And while everyone else was at home, they were working 
and wearing the mask and doing what they had to do while some of them were being criticized. While the world played politics, there was a big group of people right here in our community who just worked to touch and save and help lives. Today, we honor Jesus, the ultimate hero, but we also honor those in our communities who are heroes. Help me do that over the next few moments. Jesus, thank you for your grace and the Good Samaritan parable. Help us to live it out and help us now to celebrate those who mean so much to us. In Jesus' name, amen.